Thank you, Ben. So as Ben has already talked about, you know, let's think about the blessings that we enjoy as a nation. You know, we have a beautiful land filled with majestic mountains. I spent some time this past week in some of those mountains. Fertile plains, beautiful valleys, amazing, powerful rivers, lakes, streams, seashores. We have dry deserts, Arctic wildernesses, and tropical islands. It really is an amazing country in which we live. We're a people of strength, determination, compassion, bravery, ingenuity, entrepreneurship. Among our citizens have been some of the most heroic, self-sacrificing, hard-working, intelligent men and women the world has ever seen. We landed on the moon, defeated tyrants bent on world domination, discovered electricity, invented the light bulb, developed a Western culture that has spanned the globe. We've cured diseases and created technologies such as the personal computer, the Internet, the iPhone. As Americans, we are among some of the wealthiest people to have ever lived on planet Earth. Just think of how much access we have to food, clothes, medical innovations and care, clean water, climate-controlled places to live and work. Thank God for AC. Amen? It's a wonderful thing. We, as Ben said, we can communicate with anyone around the world. If there is a time and a place to be alive in all of human history, it is right now in the United States of America, yes, even in the year 2020. This is the best time and place to live. Don't let politicians or media fool you otherwise. We are a blessed people. And I believe the reason, that one of the reasons, if not the main reason, that we are so blessed as Americans, is because God has given us one of the greatest blessings that any nation or people can ever have. It's really the blessing that makes all these other blessings possible, and that is the blessing of freedom. President George W. Bush said in his 2003 State of the Union speech, Americans are a free people who know that freedom is the right of every person and the future of every nation. The liberty we prize is not America's gift to the world. It is God's gift to humanity. Now, that doesn't discount the hard work or the selfless or heroic sacrifices of countless American patriots. Rather, it gives all the glory and the thanks to God, who truly is the source of freedom. President Bush goes on to say, We Americans have faith in ourselves, but not in ourselves alone. We do not know, we do not claim to know all the ways of providence, yet we can trust in them placing our confidence in the loving God behind all of life and all of history. This idea that freedom is ultimately a gift from God and is one that He intends for all humanity to enjoy, that principle, that idea is enshrined in our founding documents. Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Okay, these are truths that are self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now, in the original draft of the Declaration of Independence, he used the phrase inherent 
and unalienable rights. The idea is that freedom, the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are inherent in what it means to be human beings. We are endowed by our Creator with freedom. This is is a, a revolutionary idea. Freedom does not come from the government. Freedom comes from God. He's the one who gives us freedom. Governments are instituted among men to secure, to protect and defend the freedoms that are given to us by God. And the Declaration goes on to explain how the governed also have the God-given right to replace the government when it infringes on those God-given rights. Now, I want you to notice the contrast here. Our freedoms are inalienable. They're unchanging. They're absolute. They can't be taken away. Our freedoms are unalienable, but our government is not. That's important for us to remember. It is based on this fundamental principle that we as Americans enjoy enormous personal and political freedoms. And it is our duty as Americans and as Christians to never take those freedoms for granted. Amen? But to put our freedom to good work for the glory of God, for the furthering of the gospel, and for the good of our fellow Americans. And and really for the good of all those around the world, especially those who are oppressed and who are fighting for their own freedom. But there's a freedom that's even greater than all of this. It's greater than personal or political freedom. It's a freedom that really underlies all other freedoms and rights. Without this ultimate freedom which comes from God, we would have no freedoms whatsoever. This morning I want us to answer the question, what makes us free? And the first thing that makes us free is the Word of God. The Word of God makes us free. And, and, and we read that in John 8, 31 and 32. And here we read one of the better known statements of Jesus, okay? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Right? I mean, people who quote this all the time. They don't always attribute it to Jesus, but people, people quote this in, in secular places all the time. And sadly, this verse is often used out of context, as if Jesus were merely extolling the virtues of the free press, or the freedom of expression, or the, the virtues of getting an education. And while those are all noble values, Jesus had something else in mind when He said this. Freedom from something more serious than political oppression or simple ignorance. He was talking about the freedom from sin and its disastrous effects. See, this verse is misunderstood because we take it out of context. We only quote verse 32. But if we go back and include verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Notice that Jesus here is speaking to believers. To those who had already believed in Him. And He's saying, if you really want to be my disciples, you must hold to my teaching. See, Jesus never settles for simple intellectual belief. He calls us to drink from Him and never thirst. To feast on Him and never be hungry. To to be born from above and to walk in His light. And in so doing, He says, we will experience real life, abundant and everlasting life. It's one thing to believe things about Jesus, but it's another thing entirely to believe in Jesus, to trust 
in him enough to follow him as his disciple. And to follow Jesus as a disciple means you're going to hold fast to and live according to everything that Jesus taught and commanded. Look again at these two verses together. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is telling us right here who we are. And what we are to do. If we are truly His followers, then we will do what He commands and teaches us. And that is what sets us free. It's in obediently following in His footsteps that we find real and lasting freedom. And this is true for us as individuals, as families, as churches, as communities, even as a nation. When we follow the ways of God, we will discover what is true And what is false? During his trial on that Good Friday, Jesus said to Pilate, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate famously replied by asking Jesus, What is truth? Our culture today is asking that same question. Our culture today is just as confused as Pilate about the nature of truth. In fact, our culture really is uncomfortable with even the word, even the idea that there is truth. We're told that truth is relative, that truth is in the eye of the beholder, that what is true for you might not be true for me. So how do we answer that question? What is truth in our politically correct world that says that all truth claims are equally valid? How do we talk about truth? What do we do with the Jesus who claims that He is the way, the truth, and the life? That all people who are on the side of truth listen to Him. You don't really get any more exclusive or absolute than that, do you? In John's Gospel, truth is mentioned over 50 times. And nearly every single one of them, it's found on the lips of Jesus. So when Pilate heard Jesus say truth, talk about truth. He just kind of wrote Jesus off as another useless, harmless philosopher of which there were a whole bunch in Jesus' day. These philosophers patterned after people like Plato, Socrates. They believed themselves to be these royal thinkers. They thought they'd been given a divine right to tell commoners what to think and what to believe. So when Jesus appealed to truth, Pilate wasn't impressed. But you know, he should have been amazed. Because standing before him was no empty philosopher teaching some variation of truth. This was no purveyor of a potential path. This was no seller of shadows of truth. No, standing before Pilate that day was truth incarnate. Jesus is truth. Everything he says and does, that is where truth can be found. Truth is not what other people say it is. Truth is what God says it is. And so everything God speaks can be trusted because it comes from and leads to truth Himself. In Jesus' last prayer in John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God. Literally, it's breathed by God. So when God breathes or speaks a word to us, We can trust that it is true. 
We can build our lives and our nation on that truth, like the man who built his house on the solid foundation. We can, we can do that. We can build our lives on the solid foundation. We can build our nation on the solid foundation of the unchanging, always true and relevant Word of God. Or like Pilate and like our culture, we can build our lives on the ever-shifting sands of relativism, cultural sensitivity, and political correctness. We can evaluate our lives based on the unchanging metrics of God's eternal Word, which after 2,000 years is still as true and relevant today as the day it was written. Or we can fall prey to the constantly moving goalposts of what our culture says is true, good, and right. So what the world doesn't understand is that the truth isn't constricting. Truth is liberating. Jesus said that when we obey His teachings, then we will know the truth, and that truth will set us free. Truth doesn't limit us to some small set of religious ideas or rules. When we know and live by truth, we live in a world where God truth reigns, where it wins, where His purposes always prevail. So as we live in a world of people who, like Pilate, roll their eyes at and dismiss the idea of truth, Let's not shrink back. Let's run toward the one who is truth. Let's embrace His truth and build our lives on His solid rock because when we seek God's truth and embrace it and live in it, that's when we know true freedom. What sets us free? God's Word sets us free. Secondly, God's Son makes us free. Down in that same chapter, a few verses later, verse 36... Jesus says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom not only flows from the written Word, but also from the living Word. Jesus not only speaks the truth and is the truth, in the same way Jesus is not only revealed in the written Word of God, Jesus is the incarnate Word of God. He is the Word of God made flesh. John wrote this in John 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. So if we are set free by the truth of God's written Word, then are we not even more so set free by the Word who is God's truth, Jesus Christ? The Word of God sets us free by revealing to us the truth about how life is best lived. It reveals to us who God is, what God expects of us, that God expects us to to, to love justice and mercy, walk humbly with God. God. God expects us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. He expects us to forgive and to help those in need. God's Word reveals that to us. And reveals to us who we are. As lost sinners in need of a Savior, it shows us the good news of God's grace. And that through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we're set free not only by what we do, by our obedience to Christ's commands, but we are set free by who we are in Christ Jesus. Let's go back and look at the context of all these verses. I'm going to start back and read from verse 31 all the way to 36 to show you how these are connected to each other. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. 
We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, the Pharisees were offended that Jesus told them that they needed to obey his teachings if they were to know truth and be set free. They were offended by that. We're not slaves. Why would we need to be set free? From what are we to be set free? It's almost as if they had forgotten their history, isn't it? They said, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves on to anyone. Uh, really? Um, what about those 400 years that you were in Egypt? Hello? Obviously, they must have meant themselves personally. Or their order of Pharisees, right? I mean, because they weren't slaves to Rome. <coughs> cough, cough. They weren't beholding to anyone. They were a group of proud religious leaders under their own authority. How dare Jesus condescend to them and challenge them to, to dare to imply that they were anything less than free? They were children of Abraham. Jesus calls them out on this pride and arrogance immediately. He says, anyone who was a slave to sin is a, is a slave. <laughs> did they think they were perfect? Are they saying that they were sinless? Well, some of them probably did think that. In the next chapter, chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. And he says to the formerly blind man, beginning in verse 39, For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Again, the issue here is one of identity. Who are we? The Pharisees refused to see the truth that they were blind. That they were enslaved to sin. And Jesus' point is that unless you can face that reality, the truth about your condition, you can never know freedom. They were prideful of their ethnic and religious identity as children of Abraham, as Pharisees. It kept them blind to God's truth and enslaved to sin, to religion, and to tradition. Time and again in the Gospels, we see the results of people who were set free by Jesus, but first they have to acknowledge the truth of who they are. In, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was set free from religious bondage because his identity was tied up in his religious zeal. But he first had to understand and accept that he too had to be born again. In Luke 19, Zacchaeus, that wee little tax man who wanted to see Jesus so bad, he was set free from his lust for money. But first he had to acknowledge that he was a sinful man who was not deserving of Jesus coming and dining in his home. His identity had been in material gain and wealth. He had to acknowledge his greed and commit to making amends to those he had cheated. The woman at the well was set free from a life of immorality in John 4. She believed that her identity lay in all of the men in her life. She had to admit her brokenness and emptiness and put her trust in the Messiah that was standing right before her. Now, people haven't changed much in 2,000 years, have they? 
We still struggle with issues of identity. Thinking that we can find meaning, happiness, peace, purpose in material things. In romantic relationships, and sex, and drugs, and keeping religious rules and rituals. We think that's our identity. Today we hear a lot about identity politics. That's the idea that your race, your ethnicity, your economic situation, your sexual preferences or gender, that those make you who you are. That is your identity. And ultimately, it says that who you are is a victim. You've been wronged and oppressed. Your problems are not your own. There's someone else to blame. And if you want power, if you want a better life, then you have to embrace your identity based on those superficial characteristics and fight for what is owed you. That's identity politics. It's destructive. It's untrue. It isn't freeing. It isn't biblical. In a way, it seems almost like the opposite of what the Pharisees were saying. Follow me on this. The Pharisees claimed they were no one's slaves and they didn't need to be set free. Today, entire populations in our country are told that they essentially are slaves. They're oppressed and mistreated. They're victims. And the only way they can find liberation is to pick up their sword and start swinging away. But the truth is that, yes, we all are slaves. We are all born Slaves. We're all slaves to sin. And when we embrace an identity that's based on a behavior, on a physical trait, on an appetite, a desire, a preference, or economic status, we allow ourselves to not be liberated, but to be further enslaved. But when we're adopted into God's family, Jesus gives us a new identity. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. And now the things that used to define us no longer define us. They only describe us. What defines us is Jesus. This is what Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He said, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Our identity as new creations in Christ Jesus means that we have died to the things of this world, including the world's labels, including the vain philosophies and empty promises of this world. We are set free from them. Or as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you get that? Paul lists all of these worldly identities. Homosexuals and adulterers and thieves and drunks and swindlers. And Paul said, such were some of you. That used to define you, but not anymore. They've been washed, sanctified, justified, 
set free by Jesus and given a new identity. They've been hidden with Christ in God. They used to be in alcoholism. They used to be in adultery. But now they have died to that way of life and that identity. And now they are in Christ. Sex, drugs, power, prestige, money, lying, cheating. Those things used to be their life. But now Christ is their life. Don't buy the world's lie that your identity is in who you love, who you're attracted to, how much you make, your success or your sins, your failures or your past. No, if you have been set free by Jesus, you are free indeed. You are no longer those things. They may describe who you are or who you were, but they no longer define you. You have a new name. We are set free by God's word of truth which gives us a new way of living and looking at the world. And we are set free by God's Son, who gives us a new name, a new identity. We are in Christ. Amen? And number three, God's Spirit makes us free. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 here on the screen. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for it is... To this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How easy is it for God's people to forget where they've come from? who they are in Christ, what God has liberated them from. How easy is it for us to conform to the pattern of this world, to begin to trust again in our own efforts and wisdom and self-righteousness, and like Israel, to once again long for those pots of meat in Egypt, even if it means returning to a life of slavery. We do that. We turn back to our old ways, to our self-reliance. We willingly put the world's shackles on our hands and our hearts and our minds. Paul is addressing that very thing that Jesus confronted the blind, sin-enslaved Pharisees with. He describes the stubborn, hard-heartedness of God's people Israel. They were blinded by the fading glory of their religion. They were stuck in the past, reliving the old glory days. They were depending on the law, on external things to change people. But people need an internal power to transform their lives. You can't legalize transformation. No standard of behavior can change someone's heart, not even the law. Only God's grace, by the power of God's Spirit, can transform the lost into living epistles for the glory of Christ. Only Jesus, Paul says, can unveil the sinner's heart. No pastor can do it. No youth minister can do it. No camp or revival or church event can do it. Tithing can't do it. Only God's grace by faith can do it. And when we measure each other by our own external standards, when we compare our results with other churches and other Christians, when we depend on the things of the flesh instead of the power of the Holy Spirit who brings freedom, then we are just as blind and veiled to God's glory as these Jews were. God instead wants us to be like Moses. When Moses went into God's presence, you know what he did? He always removed that veil. When he went back into the tabernacle to meet with God face to face. And Paul says that when the Spirit sets us free from both worldliness and from religiousness, we can come come boldly before God's throne of grace with unveiled faces. 
nothing to come between us and God. Church, we have to guard against legalism. We have to guard against what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. He said it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a a yoke of slavery. The Spirit of Christ sets us free from the power of sin, from the desires of the flesh. We're not doomed to always have to give in to our temptations and desires because they don't define us anymore. Instead, we're free to walk in the Spirit to bear His fruit as the demonstration of our freedom. That's what Paul talks about in chapter 5 when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Lawlessness enslaves, but the Spirit sets us free. We give God thanks today for the political and the personal freedoms that we enjoy as citizens of the United States of America. Those freedoms... Listen, they are in constant peril. And we must pray and speak out and educate ourselves and vote according to godly principles, not worldly ones. Because we're not, we are not guaranteed that our country is going to survive. We are not guaranteed that our personal and political freedoms are always going to be there. But guess what? Our spiritual freedom that we find in Christ Jesus that makes us citizens of the kingdom of God, they are guaranteed. They are eternal and unchanging. The kingdom of God isn't going anywhere regardless of what happens in the United States of America. Amen? How free are you? Are you a citizen of the eternal kingdom of God? Have you been set free from sin? From the world's labels? From the identity the world wants to place on you? Do you know the truth because you hold to Jesus' teachings? And is that setting you free? Is the Spirit of Christ producing His fruit in your life? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are more enslaved than anyone who's ever lived on planet Earth. You are a slave to Satan and to sin, and there's no hope for you apart from Christ Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're watching online, listening on the radio, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus not just believing things about Him, but trusting in Him, then I invite you today to cry out to Him. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Ask Him to wash you clean, to forgive you of your sins, to set you free from the the, the box the world wants to put you in and experience abundant and everlasting life. I'll be standing right here if you need to come and do that today. If you're watching online, please contact us. Leave us a comment. Send us an email. Give us a phone call. We want to talk to you about how you can know Jesus. And as believers in Jesus Christ, let's live as free men and free women. And let's not indulge our freedom as an excuse to sin, but rather to serve one another in love. To fear God. To honor those He puts in authority over us and to be a blessing to others. Would you stand and pray with me and you come as God leads you today. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is truth. And we know that when we not only read and believe in Your Word, but when we follow it and obey it, we will know freedom. We thank You for Your Son who comes to set us free and for the freedom that we find in Your Spirit of liberty. I pray that Your Spirit would move and work right now in the hearts and minds of everybody who's listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
you come and respond today as God's Spirit leads you. Maybe to unite with this church. Maybe to come and to pray at this altar. Whatever God has laid on your heart, would you come?